0: talking about play it, making the most of the hand life has dealt you. And the reason I'm talking about that is because we live in a world that does have problems, where people, even good people, face challenging setbacks, disappointments that they did not deserve. I'm going to be very frank with you and upfront with you. You didn't do anything to deserve it. It's not God mad at you. And we look at this thing about building our dream. One of the things you have to do to be able to build your dream is know how to process stuff that is working against you. Bad stuff. Disappointments. Because, as I mentioned before, that gets a lot of people hung up. They get mad, they get angry, they, they, some have cursed God. God you know all of this kind of thing because they did not know how to process what was the result of being in a fallen world where the god of this world is literally committed to hurting us in any way possible so James 4:14 4, what is your life as i've said you're not going to make any improvements until you first discern where you are amen And in Philippians 3, 13 through 15, brethren, this is where I'm at, Paul is saying. Let me rephrase it. What is my life? I'll tell you what my life is. I can tell you where I've not got to yet. I don't count myself to have apprehended. But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I'm not there yet, Paul is saying. I've asked myself that question, what is my life? And I'm going to tell you frankly, I'm not where I used to be, but I'm not where I'm going yet either. I'm still in the upward journey. And it is the upward call of God, as I keep emphasizing. God calls us to a life that is ever moving toward greater blessings and fulfillment. Secular studies have now confirmed this. Hear me, newsflash. They've observed this phenomenon. There is now even a name that has been given to what happens when people become Christians and this upward call of God begins to elevate their lives. Now, I'm going to tell you up front, you're not going to hear hear Bill Maher talk about this. You're not going to hear Richard Dawkins and some of the others mention this, and there's a very good chance your college professor is not going to mention it either, but It's called Redemptive Lift. The surprising results documented by scholars such as the eminent secular sociologist Dr. Robert Woodbury named Christianity as the single largest factor in ensuring the health of nations. That when Christianity comes to people or to nations, the next thing you know, their lives begin to be elevated. Society improves. Finances improves, the economy improves, education improves if it's a country, all these things improve. And this is what happens when they go the other way. The wicked shall be turned into hell and all nations that forget God. As long as nations are embracing the gospel message, it elevates them. As long as people do, it elevates their lives. So, here's my question. If that is a recognized sociological phenomenon that has now even been given a name, and by the way, Dr. Woodbury produced that study in correlation with Harvard University, then let me ask you a question. What do you do when you're serving God faithfully and you run into something like the psalmist ran into in Psalms 119? He says here, even though troubles came down on me hard, (laughs) anybody here have trouble in your life ever come down on you hard? I'm not talking about easy. I'm talking about hard. Like, hard! (laughs) Even though troubles came down on me hard, the psalmist said, your commands always gave me delight. The way you tell me to live is always right. Help me understand it so I can live to the fullest. The enemy is always trying to get you to ignore God's teachings because he knows the only way you will live life to the fullest is to be committed to the fact that the way God tells you to live is right. So, has trouble ever come down on you hard? Are troubles with an S? Father, I pray today that you will speak to us now and open our understanding as I always pray that we might be able to glean the insights of your word because the truth is that you hide so many things and unless we have hungry and passionate hearts we can look at them and not even see them even though they're right in front of our face. So Lord... Reveal your truth to us today, I ask in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. January 17, 2004. A 66-ton whale died and was beached on the southwestern coast of Taiwan, near the city of Tunan. Two weeks later, on January 29, authorities decided to truck the dead whale to a laboratory where they could do a biopsy. Uh, rather an autopsy it took 50 laborers and three lifting cranes 13 hours to hoist the 56 foot behemoth onto a flatbed trailer truck true story pedestrians and shop owners poured into the streets as the truck slowly began to make its way through downtown to what's a spectacle of a whale carcass being driven through the middle of their little city. Schools let children come out, people stop working, they poured out of coffee shops and stores, and then suddenly it happened. Without any warning, what had started out as a great day suddenly turned into a disaster. As a truck crawled through that downtown region with crowds looking on, the whale exploded. That's right. It blew up. The decomposing condition of the dead mammal combined with the bumps in the road caused an eruption that those poor folk will not forget anytime soon. Cars, people, And local shops were splattered with decaying whale entrails. Traffic was brought to a halt for hours and the smell was almost unbearable. Here's my point. I bet you there was not one person that got up that morning thinking they were going to be covered by stinking whale guts before noon. Isn't that just like life sometimes? You're going along minding your own business and having a good day and then kablooey, you get baptized in whale guts. And you wonder, what in the world did I do to deserve this? Amen. You can't explain it. You didn't plan for it. You certainly didn't welcome it. And life can sometimes deal you a zinger that leaves you dazed, hurt, and with a lot of unanswered questions. What we know, though, about God that is unshakable as believers is that God is love and delights in blessing his children. We know that. Psalms 35, verse 27. Let them shout for joy and be glad who favor my righteous cause. And let them say continually. Read that with me. Say the word continually. That means without stopping. What should you do? Without stopping, you should be saying, Let the Lord be magnified, who has pleasure in what? The prosperity of his servant. Whoa! You gotta say that continually without let up. Why is the scripture? making this emphatic declaration that this is something we ought to constantly be telling ourselves. It's because in a fallen world, God knows you're going to encounter some things that are going to make you doubt that right there. And you've got to constantly tell yourself, God is magnified. He has pleasure in my prosperity. Amen. And what does prosperity mean? Well, what does pleasure mean? The Hebrew word for pleasure means God delights in. It even means that he desires it. God desires. He delights. God wants you to prosper. What does prosper mean? The Hebrew word that is used here literally means welfare, health, prosperity, and peace. It means in every way that you're to be improved. The upward call, in other words. Okay? You see? So... What God is saying here is that I take pleasure when you have peace in your life. I enjoy it when I see you doing well financially. I want your family to be blessed. I want your health to be strong. Well, then why do we have these explosions that happen? Somebody, many people, when they encounter things like that, turn around and, and they blame God for it. And what do you do The question is, what do you do when what you believe about God seemingly clashes with the circumstances of your reality? Because you, if you haven't been to that point, will come to it that what you believe about God is going to be in direct opposition to what you see going on in your life at that moment. There's going to be absolute contradiction to what you know in your heart as you look at what is happening around you. And so what do you do? Do you change what you think and your convictions to embrace this reality? Or do you go on continuing to believe what you believe and what the Scripture says about God? Do you continue to hold on to that? Well, some people would say you're denying what is right in front of your face. Or do you find some other way to address it? Amen. In the scripture, as we have pointed out, the Bible teaches us that life is not fair. And there are at least two major, major reasons why. First and most importantly, say it with me, the world is broken. Would you do that? Okay, so one reason that you have bad things happen in your life is the world is broken. Amen. A broken world, We've got. An, there's an evil Lord that rules this fallen world. Everything is broken from the economy to your health to relationships, broken. The second reason that you get dealt a hand in life that sometimes is not very pleasant is because you are unique. And because you're unique, you're not going to get the same hand everybody else gets. And you're unique for a number of reasons that I've already shared with you. Number one, your biology. Nobody else has your fingerprints. Nobody else just like you. So you're unique. You didn't get to vote on your race. You didn't get to vote on the color of your hair. You didn't get to vote on how tall you would be. None of these things. Second, you're unique because of your relationships. And you didn't even get to vote on your earlier relationships, and yet they have profound impact on your life and affect how you view yourself and even how you view God. Amen. And your relationships make you unique. If you don't believe it, tell me that a child raised as an orphan without a mom or a dad has the very same outlook on life as somebody raised in a home with both parents. There's no way they can. Or if you come through a home that broke up, it's going to, be, it's going to affect you. And even within the same family among your siblings, it affects each one differently because of the fact that we are all unique. You can have the same things happen, even good things, and everybody process it differently. You're also unique, as I pointed out last week, because of your circumstances. Nobody else walks through exactly what you walk through in exactly the same way and processes it exactly the way you process it. And so right there, up front, you've got to know that you're going to be dealt a hand in life and you're going to hold cards that are going to be a little bit different than somebody else's. But there's a couple of other things that I want to mention. Another factor that makes you unique is your consciousness or your ability to think, the way you talk to yourself is what I'm talking about. This is your self-talk. What you tell yourself when you walk through things, are you listening, affects the way you play your hand in life. When I spoke of how everyone in this world will face trouble and opposition, because Jesus said it, in the world, you shall have persecution or pressure, but in me you will have peace, be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Why is it that some people thrive in the middle of opposition, while others are devastated by it? Why? It's, it's, I can tell you what, it's the way they talk to themselves. Earlier this year, I pointed out to you that what most people have never learned in life, and this is the reason That 5% do well and 95% of people struggle in life. I'm talking about economically, financially. 5% are going to be at the top. The rest are not. You know why? Because those 5% look at problems as promotional opportunities. 95% of us look at problems as trouble. And yet everything that is in our life that is good is the result of somebody that in um, that five percent looking at what the other ninety-five percent thought was a problem, and saying, "Hmm, I got a way to fix that," and that their solution caused them to be promoted. Chair you sit in, amen. Believe it or not, they early on. I don't read about a, a chair being back there in the garden. <laughs> Adam sat on a stump, I guess. And then one day somebody figured out, you know, try, rather than trying to drag this stump around, let me see what I can do. And they solved the problem of needing to find a place to sit. This microphone is the result of solving a problem of communicating to large groups of people. And so in the old days, people would have to shout, like Charles Spurgeon in London, England. He would have to shout to be heard. I don't have to shout, I just do it because I like it, amen. Amen. I feel good, kind of hard not to sometimes, amen. But I don't have to because I have a microphone. Electric light solved a problem. Some people curse the darkness. Someone else saw an opportunity for promotion. Same thing with automobiles right on down the line. What makes the difference in that 5% and the other 95% is their self-talk. It's what you say to yourselves that determines whether you excel while others going through the same thing around you are crumbling, falling. And people say, oh, they don't talk to themselves. Of course you talk to yourself. You're doing it right now. People get all hung up where Jesus was praying to the Father, St. John chapter 17. And people I've heard people get into arguments. If you really want to mess a theologian up, get him in John chapter 17. Jesus is praying as God on earth to God in heaven. Father, Son, three persons, these three are one, amen. To wit, God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself. You've seen me, you've seen the Father. I mean, all of these great scriptures... And and there's only one God. And Jesus is praying to the Father as the Son to the Father now. And people say, hmm, wait a minute. That's God praying to Himself. And they get all hung up on that. Really? Like you don't talk to yourself. Sure you do. Like I said, you're doing it right now. Some of you saying, Pastor, Great message, but that story about that whale just kind of nauseated me a while ago. And Yeah, I know what's going on. Some of you are saying, I really wanted to go eat lunch right after the service, but I'm going to have to wait a little while to get that image out of my mind. Amen. And somebody else is saying, I wonder how much longer he's going to go on here. You're talking to yourself all the time. There is never a time we are told when we do not speak to ourselves or talk to ourselves, amen. Somebody's saying this is a great message. Somebody else could be saying this is a terrible sermon. You repeat constantly things that other people say about you. They can say it once and you say it 100,000 times. We create this loop like a young aspiring rap musician. He's got this beat going... And he's laying down some lyrics to it, right? You got this thing going in your mind all the time, this loop. You keep looping the things that people say about you. You're talking to yourself constantly, and they say it once, but you'll say it to yourself a thousand times. And you know what? We don't even talk nice to ourselves. In fact, if you talked to your friends the way you talk to yourself, they would not be your friends anymore. They'd pull their phone out and say, I'm deleting you right now from my contact list. We say horrible things to ourselves and repeat this over and over again. And here is what's important. The thoughts you think determine your identity. Proverbs 23 and 7, as a man thinks in his heart so Is he a man? I taught a whole year from Proverbs 4 and 23. Now let me give you the new century version. You don't think it's heavy? What's this? Be careful what you think because your thoughts run your life. Your thoughts run your life. I would say that if you added one little letter to the word run, You'd come closer to what most people's thoughts do to them. Add the letter I. Your thoughts ruin your life. Most people are thinking things that are are constantly hurting them. If you want to go in a different direction, look, your thoughts run your life. So if you're tired of going in one direction, you know what you have to do? Remember your thoughts were the ones that were running you there now change your thoughts and you can go in a different direction you're not going to be able to change direction until you change your thoughts this is really really important amen and all of the factors that i've mentioned thus far your biology your relationships your circumstances this is far in front the single most important thing i've discussed thus far that determines who you are as a person and what will happen in your life. Amen. More than these other things, your self-talk has a profound impact on you. And what's amazing is, a thought does not even have to be true to hurt you. Amen. If you believe it, it hurts you anyway, even if it's false. Help me out now. If you tell yourself, this marriage is not going to last, guess what? It would have, but you talked yourself into the wrong conclusion. Or if you say, and I've heard people say this, mom and dad both died of this, and you know, I'm their son and their daughter, and so, Uh uh-huh, get ready, it'll happen. Amen. If you tell yourself that you will never overcome what you're struggling with, that you aren't strong enough, guess what? you're never going to defeat it. Though you've got the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Word of God, the power of the blood, the power of angels and everything else helping you, you will not overcome because you just talked yourself right out of it. Your thoughts run and ruin your life. This is why they say a person who says I can and the person who says I cannot are both right as a man thinketh in his heart so is he amen you see fears are actually and negative thoughts which really are fears a negative thought is actually just a fear disguised as a thought negative thoughts and fears actually become self-fulfilling prophecies let me show you how that works. In relationships, it can work like this. If you think people don't like you and you walk into a room and you see people looking at you and they're bent over and they're looking, both of them looking at you and they're talking to each other like this. Let me ask you, what, what will many people think right there? Come on, be honest. Some of you are afraid to say, I'm about to get caught here. I'm not saying a word. Many people right off the bat think they're talking about me. And if they're frowning and scowling, they say, see, they don't like me. Look at them. I I just walked in the room. They started scowling. Or if they're laughing, who do you think they're laughing at? You. And yet, they might be talking about a stock that just skyrocketed they both bought. But you think it's about you. So let me show you how negative thoughts And fears become self-fulfilling prophecies. What do some people do when they walk in a room and they see somebody leaning over, whispered, looking up at them, laughing, talking to each other, then scowling? Tell you what some people do. They'll walk right over there and blast them. (laughs) I saw... (laughs) You see, you thought they didn't like you. You went over there and by the time you got through, they were talking about you when you walked away. And you are now right. They do not like you and never will. Your actions saw to that and became a self-fulfilling prophecy. Or some people are not that forward. What they'll do is avoid that person. And the person will come, hey, how you doing? My name is... And you, hey, how are you? And they say, gee, what an unfriendly person. And your perception now has created a reality that did not even exist because your thoughts, your fears have become self-fulfilling prophecies. Amen. And like I said, they may not have even had you on, in mind at all. What's important that we need to understand as believers is feelings are not facts. They're not. Feelings are the result of of, you know, any number of things. It could be the, the result of the way we were raised, our programming, all kind of things. Things could be the result of, of input from empirical senses, but it sometimes can be very, very misleading. Amen. For example, you might say, I don't believe anybody loves me. I feel like I'm uncared for. Well, you feel that way, but it might not be true. It might be you have a whole lot of people that care for you and you just are not able to see it. Or how about this, I feel like my husband doesn't love me anymore. And the poor guy's saying, look woman, I'm pedaling this bicycle as fast as I can. I'm doing everything I know how. And you see his frustration and that confirms to you that he doesn't care as much for you because he's frustrated. And he said, I'm giving everything i got, I just don't know what else to do, amen. I feel like my wife is this. Feelings are oftentimes way off base. This is why the scripture says we do not go by sight. We walk by faith. Amen. Faith. And do you know what what fear is? Fear is negative faith. Negative faith. How many times did Jesus tell people, According to your faith, it will be done. And fear sees an unkind and sees a catastrophic result and believes that's going to happen. And just like fear, just like faith rather, attracts the positive things to you, fear being negative faith attracts negative things to you. And this is why... We read in the Word of God where Job tells us, For the thing I greatly feared has come upon me, and what I dreaded has happened to me. If you fear it and keep thinking it and thinking it, your thoughts run and ruin your life. And we think it's real when it's not. It's in our imagination many times. For example, I feel I'm ugly. And everybody else may say, wow, what a nice-looking lady or a handsome-looking dude, you know. Just because you feel something doesn't mean it's that way. It's your self-talk. It's the way you talk to yourself. And maybe all of that got started years ago when somebody created the wrong loop for you. Way back there. And you didn't get to vote on it then. But what we have to learn to do is do what James said and ask, what is my life? Where am I at right now? Am I still running these negative tapes over and over and over again? You didn't know it. You didn't start them. You didn't put them there. You didn't intend to play them. But they're, they're nonetheless running and ruining your life. Listen to Paul's self-talk, Romans 8 and 28. And we know, notice what he said, we're not supposing, we're not guessing, we're not hypothesizing, we're not theorizing, we're not believing. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. And what the enemy intends to have happen with the negatives that he keeps dealing to us in life is affect the way we look at God. And he wants to change that word no and cancel that out. And this is why you constantly have to do what the scripture said and say to yourself continually, the Lord takes pleasure in my prosperity, my welfare, my peace. When you're walking through a traumatic time and you're all stressed out, say thank you God that you enjoy it when I have peace in my heart. Amen. Whenever you're stretched financially, you have to say thank you because you delight in my prosperity. And the reason that I'm saying that is if God delights in it and God wants it or desires it, guess what? He's looking for a way to make it happen. All things will work together for good, no matter what the enemy does. You say, hey, pastor... You know, I hear you on everything, but I know one thing that can't possibly have worked together for people's good. When that whale blew up and they all had to go home and take a shower, how could that have worked for their good? Well, I'll tell you what, they got a story to tell their grandkids. You don't have to tell yours, I can tell you that much. Uh huh romans this is paul's self-talk romans eight thirty-five. who shall separate us from the love of god or the love of christ amen shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword who shall separate us from the love of christ amen god loves us and he delights in our prosperity in other words who's going to separate us from from happening, making happen in our lives what God delights in seeing occur. God loves me. God wants to bless me. Who's going to interfere with that? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution, he says, peril, sword, any of these things? Only if you allow it, because those other things can't. The only one that can allow this that I'm talking about, where God is in a place to want to bless you And call you into the upward life, the ascending life, the elevated life. The only reason that won't happen is if you choose to let your thoughts run your life the other direction. Amen. That's the only way it won't happen. Romans 8, 37 through 39, this is what he says. This is Paul's self-talk. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors. Through him that loved us, did you get that more than conquerors? In other words, I, I, I'm, he's not saying, you use up everything you got and you'll conquer the enemy." No, This is like a husband and wife sitting down and, and filling up the car tank with fuel the, and the, the, the gas tank with fuel and saying, "We've got to drive to Jackson. I wonder if we have enough to get there." And so you get in the car and it does this little thing on on the computer readout and it tells you how many miles and you look at your map and it's so many miles to Jackson and you say, oh, baby, we got more than enough to get to Jackson. What I'm telling you is when God came into your life, you've got more than enough to be a conqueror. You're not depleting what he gave you. You're not using it up and barely squeaking by. you got to turn to somebody and say, more than enough, would you do that? Amen. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, oh, hallelujah, nor things to come nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. More than enough. That ought to be somebody's word from God Almighty today. Turn to somebody, high-five somebody, and say, more than enough. Would you do it? Amen. Amen. We're not talking about squeaking by. More than enough. Got more than enough. Got more than enough. Got more grace than I need. Got more favor than I need. Got more money than I need. Got more health than I need. Got more blessings than I need. More than enough. Amen. Philippians 4 and 13. Paul's self-talk. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I don't know if I can make it through this, you know. I'm just I'm just one person and I'm a limited little old insignificant finite human being. And you know, I don't oh, hush up. Amen. Go back and read the word. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Amen. Not only do your thoughts make you unique and therefore determine the hand that you are dealt? Because again, one person is, has got a whole lot of pressure and they end up coming out like a diamond. The other, like an ugly lump of coal. Same pressure, same flesh, under pressure. What made the difference? Your thoughts run and can ruin your life the fifth factor that makes you unique and therefore makes your hand unique and this is a real biggie and it is determined by the one i just finished is your choices make you unique that's right because guess what determines your choices uh huh your thoughts uh you see how they tie into one another just as your thinking or self-talk is the biggest factor of those we discussed up until now, your choices are even more impacting because they carry your self-talk to the next dimension, which is the conclusion. Your decisions can affect your life and do affect your life. One simple decision can have huge consequences that you were not able to foresee. I was reading the other day, and I ran across this, and I, was remi- I knew this years ago, but I'd forgotten it. Did you know that World War I was started because the chauffeur of the Archduke of Austria-Hungary made a wrong turn and turned down a road he shouldn't have and a man was waiting down that road with a gun who shot the Archduke and his wife, thus starting World War I. It lasted from 1914 to 1918. It cost millions and millions and millions of lives and millions and millions and millions of suffering. Humanity were left in its wake and billions and billions of dollars worth of destruction. One wrong turn. A decision to go this way instead of that way. Your decisions always have huge impact. And in this sense this is one reason that I believe that what they teach about evolution is just completely wrong because we have a capacity that others in life in existence on this planet don't have no other created being has the cognitive abilities no other being if you argue that they were created and say they were evolved show me another that has the cognitive abilities that a human being has and here's the simple truth the law of the jungle is the guy that's the biggest and the baddest gets to stay the way he is and run it the way he wants to what they're telling us is that evolution was caused by the demands of life, environment, etc. upon us. The only problem with that is, guess who was the big guy on the block? It was human beings. Therefore, we had no compelling reason to change. No compelling reason to, to go through any kind of an evolutionary process. Let me explain it this way. What do you tell a 500-pound gorilla to do? Nothing. It does what it wants. And if you're the 500-pound gorilla, nobody's going to tell you you got to change and adapt and all of this. No, human beings are made to think. We have cognitive abilities because we're made in the image and in the likeness of God Almighty. Amen. And God gave us that part of himself that we could think. Geese don't have to think. A goose born up in Saskatchewan hatched out of an egg in the marshes way up in northern Canada. It doesn't have to think, hmm, kind of getting cool, wonder what I do, you know. Is there a Marshalls or TJ Maxx around here somewhere? Where no, you know what it does? When it starts getting cool, it stretches its wings. Nobody ever told it to fly south, but it flies south for the winter. Animals operate on the basis of Instinct. That's what makes them different from us. We do not operate on the basis of instinct. We operate on the basis of our thoughts. And one reason they're telling us that we operate on the basis of instinct, and this is what really they're saying when they say we evolve, because if we evolve, we can't control what we're doing because it's our instincts, right? One reason they do that is because they don't want any moral absolutes anywhere in life any longer. And I'm sorry, baby, you can't have it that way. And somebody said, well, if God had created a perfect world, man would not have a choice. Oh, really? You can't have love without a choice. I'm serious. If we were just made to be robotic creations and just serve God without choice or free will what kind of world would this be it's like I said God wanted somebody to love him so he gave us the choice you know what he did he put one tree among these 10 quadzillion quintillion trees and said you can eat all the rest of them just don't eat the one man said okay as soon as God walked off where'd they go straight to the one tree that they were not supposed to go to (laughs) amen Amen, they did. And somebody said, oh, but why did God give man choice? I want to tell you why. It's the same thing that's at work in your marriage. For you to love this one means you don't love the other one. It's not love if you didn't get to vote on it. Hello? Some of you said, I thought it was... (laughs) Y'all forgive me. I just have too much fun. I know what some of you are thinking. That self-talk thing. That's what I'm talking. Correct that. That's the wrong self-talk. Delete that loop right now. Amen. Get rid of it. It's not helping you. Amen. God allowed us to have choice. Amen. And we made the wrong one. And it's the right choices that cause our lives to be blessed. Look. Look made in the image of Almighty God, we have the right to make some decisions. And this is one of the most important things about being a parent, is you have to protect your child when they're young from decisions that they cannot foresee the consequences of. So they're playing football, and the ball goes out in the street or the basketball, and they just run out and never look at the cars that are coming. And so you have to teach your child You don't go out in the street. You don't play in the street. All of that kind of stuff that every parent had had to go through. But when you get 21 years of age or 35, is somebody still having to tell you all this stuff? Amen? Amen? You need to make some qualitative decisions for yourself. Joshua 24, 15, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. It's always been God's way. You choose. It's your choice. Choose for yourself. Amen. And then in 1 Kings 18 and 21, I love this, and Elijah came to all the people and said, how long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him him. You see, the freedom of choice is man's greatest blessing. It is also man's greatest curse. Amen. It's a curse because we often make foolish and self-destructive choices. You can't choose your biology, and I'm finishing. You didn't get to choose what your DNA was. Your mom and dad, you didn't get to choose your relationships. Didn't get to choose how tall you would be. Didn't get to choose color of your hair. Didn't get to choose any of that. Didn't get to choose who the primary caregivers were in your life. You didn't get to choose your circumstances either. And some of us, some of you, all of us have been through some rough places in life, but some much worse than others. You didn't get to choose that. Amen. But the thing you do get to choose are your thoughts. And if you choose to change your thoughts. Watch it now. You get to make decisions, you see. If you one of those decisions is, I will change the way I think. You will put your life on a different plane and headed in a different direction. You don't have to live by everybody else's thinking the rest of your life. Oh, but that's what the crowd does. Really? Amen. Really? Uh-huh. So you're going to follow them. How's it working out for you? How's it working for them? I've I said this before, but in Louisiana, I learned when I was a kid that you never, when you go crabbing, you know, crabbing, you go down and catch crabs, get you an old chicken neck, tie a string around it, throw it off in the, in the bayou, and you just sit there, and that bright, you know on the bank, and that thing that line start just slowly moving over to the side. And You know you got one on there. Okay, so you start pulling that thing up slow. You don't jerk it. Now, it's not like catching a fish. You're not setting any hooks. So you just slowly pull that thing, and that greedy crab has got its claws on that chicken neck. Like I'm not letting go. This is mine and not yours. Amen. And you know what you do? You get you a net, and you slide it underneath it slowly. Pick that bad boy up and you drop him. We used to have a big number three wash tub and you would drop that crab in that wash tub. And I looked at my dad the first time we went crabbing. I was just a little old guy. And I said, Daddy, he's going to get out because he is trying to climb out. And Dad said, Oh, no, he's not getting out. As soon as we catch another one, we'll fix that. And we caught another crab and put him in there. And every time one would almost climb out, the other would reach up and pull him back down. I'm serious. That's the way it works. Don't let people pull your life down. Amen. Don't let people pull you the wrong way. Why don't you be the force for good? The upward life, not the downward life, not the plateaued life. The upward life. You're constantly ascending in every aspect of your life. So much so that they will see God at work in you and want what you have. I didn't get to choose my biology. Some of you that know my circumstance know that I haven't seen my mother in many, many years. She gave us away when I was four, and then I saw her briefly when I was about 21, and since then I've never seen her one time. I don't know if she's living. I don't know if she's dead. I don't know anything at all about her. She just told me very frankly that so much water had been under the bridge and everything. She said, it's impossible to rebuild a relationship after all these years. That's what my mama told me. Amen. I didn't get to choose that. And I could let it work on me. And when I was younger, I did. And I interpreted that the wrong way and let it mess with my programming. You know what you got to do? You got to. Get that junk out of there and program your mind with the Word of God Almighty. Change your thinking. Change your thoughts. And I'm done. For years they used to think that you could not change the way you think. They thought that, that your thinking was hardwired. They really did. In fact, it's only been within, since the year 2000 that they've come to, to know you can change. You're wiring in terms of the way you think. Up until then, all throughout the last centuries, they thought you were hardwired. The Nobel Prize in neurology for research in, in this particular field, which was neurology and psychology, the Nobel Prize was awarded, I think it was in 2004, to a couple of doctors that proved you can rewire the way you think. Proved it. What they found out is that when you think a certain thought, it lays down chemicals in your brain and creates an electrical path, kind of like the wiring in your computer, for example. And you keep laying that down, and every time you think it, this is a dramatic oversimplification. Forgive me for that. But after a while, that programming becomes so established that you don't even question it. And here's what's wrong, is that much of that negativism got started in our lives before we were old enough to realize it was being put there. I was four years old. I didn't know what my mama was doing. Didn't understand all of that. You hear what I'm trying to say? So, they found out that if you deliberately, purposefully go against that wiring that has been laid down and start thinking a different thought, you start laying down a new chemical trail. And it now is a new thought. It is the opposite of that one over there. To be honest, in times of of distress or extreme weariness or something bad happens or catastrophic occurs, we often recidivate. We go back. We revert back to this thinking over here. What you have to do is force yourself to go back over here and start laying down these thoughts again I'm blessed. I'm blessed when I stand up. I'm blessed when I sit down. I'm blessed when I come in. I'm blessed when I go out. You see, when you're thinking thoughts like that, blessings overtake you. They're running for for you. They're chasing for you. When you go, they're just trying hard to catch you. You go back to thinking over here and all those blessings that were chasing you go, Huh? And they stop chasing you. But whenever your mind is filled with the word of God. Hear what I'm talking about. You're running your life now in a different direction. Instead of ruining your life. And you lay this down. These chemicals down in your brain. Because thinking is a chemical process. It generates a tiny little electrical current. And that they, They've proven that. You know what happens? That over there starts drying up and fading. And then after a while, this is what's left. This one over here. And you don't go back to that one anymore. This is why, beloved, you should fill your hearts with God's precious Word.